Welcome to the Wonder by the Word podcast, where we walk through the Bible chronologically in a year. I'm your host, Brittany Rust, and on this podcast, I break down our daily readings from the Wonder by the Word reading plan and community so that we can all have better theology and grow in our faith. In case you're just now finding us, the Wonder by the Word plan can be found on version or on my website. Wonder by the Word is sponsored by Truth and Grace Ministries. Learn more at BrittanyRust.com. Now, verses 1 through 3 provide the ingredients to the consecration, which included animal sacrifices and bread cakes, both leavened and unleavened. Then a washing is instructed specific to the priest, followed by their garments and instructions for anointing. Verses 10 through 14 outline the sin offering for the priest. So we're going to take a look at several different offerings. The first being the sin offering, which essentially the altar was sanctified with the blood of the sin offering, the blood from the animal, and the best of the animal was burnt before the Lord, while the rest of the animal was destroyed outside the camp. And the sin signified their failure to give their best to God. So now the animal, the representation is the animal is giving its best to atone for the failure. And the priest decides to now live giving their best, even as the animal who dies in their place. Verses 15 through 18 are for the burnt offering, which is similar to the sin offering. It signified the priest's failure to give their all. So it was their best and now their all. And then verses 19 through 21 outline the consecration offering, which To express the idea of consecration, uh, blood from the ram was placed on, it was taken, it was placed on the ear, thumb, and toe of the priest. And this, what this showed is that by doing this, they should hear differently because of the blood on their ear. They should work differently because the blood on their thumb, and they should walk differently because the blood was on their toe. Next, we see the wave offering in verses 22 through 28. Now, part of the second ram, the best parts, was put together with bread, cake, and the wafer, and it was waved before the Lord in an act of presentation. Then those portions were burnt on the altar as an act of complete devotion. The remaining meat portions of the ram were given to Aaron and the priest, and after those portions were presented to God, they were were presented to God as a wave offering. It was then cooked and eaten by the priests during uh, their days of consecration. And so this second ram, the ram presented as a burnt offering, it what, ha- what it signified is its life applied to the consecrated priest. So first its life was applied with the application of the blood to the ear, hand, and foot, remember, then through a ritual meal where the priest took the ram and ate it. Its life is applied by the priest taking the ram into himself. And that's what the wave offering did. And then finally in the chapter, verses 29 through 37, share about the week of consecration, which was for the new priest, followed by verses 38 through 41, giving instruction for the continual consecration. So after the week-long consecration, here is how you consecrate on a daily uh in a daily manner. And then the chapter closes with God's desire for these sacrifices, which was really to set the people apart and for them to meet with him. 
I know that's a lot of information looking at the consecration of the priests and the various offerings in a very, very short manner, but it gives you some insight to what's happening here and certainly like dig deeper, dig deeper. Um, this is again, a supplement, but go deeper on your own. And so we see that in chapter 29, chapter 30 continues with further instructions. Uh, the altar of incense, it talks about the altar of incense, which was a place for man to meet with God. It was in the holy place of the tabernacle with the golden lampstand and the table of bread, which we talked about earlier. And it was, it was positioned outside the veil in the holy place. Now, remember, there was the holy place and then the most holy place. It was put in the holy place. And so while it was close to the Ark of the Covenant, it was separated by the veil. And then the chapter goes on to talk about a census tack, other needs for the tabernacle, and holy oil and incense. As we enter chapter 31, God tells Moses at the beginning to appoint two men to oversee the construction of the tabernacle and also confirms that he has provided skill workers for the job. And what I really love about this passage is that we see God equips people for his purposes. You know, they didn't have these glorified roles like Moses and Aaron, but God still saw them. He purposely equipped them and he had a plan to use them. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, right? There is one body, but it has many parts, but all of its parts make up one body. And so looking at this passage, God cares about the details. He cares about people. Every person has a purpose and a plan in his kingdom. And we see that in this chapter. And then beyond that, with instructions for the tabernacle given, God moves on to talk about the Sabbath. And what we see here is that, you know, God is telling Israel, I have work for you to do. I want you to build this tabernacle. But he did not want them to do that work on the Sabbath. So he's talking about, I want you to work, but he's reminding them of the Sabbath because the rest of God still needs to be respected. And finally, as we look at chapter 32, it shares a disheartening account. It says that when the people saw that Moses was delayed to come down from the mountain, they gathered together and went to Aaron, insisting that he make for them a God. And what we see here is that they got restless in the waiting and we get restless in the waiting, don't we? And if we're not careful, we can be like the Israelites in this moment. We can engage in idolatry, drunkenness, immorality, blasphemy, which we will see the people engage in all four. And what happens is Aaron complies. And he gathers the gold and he fashions it into a calf. He then presents the calf to them as the one who brought them out of Egypt. And what blasphemy that was. This calf did not bring them out of Egypt. The God who's on the mountain brought them out of Egypt. And they throw this big feast and the people become drunk and they participate in immorality. That word play right there, it means sexual morality. And so all of this is happening at the bottom of the mountain, and we pivot back to God and Moses on top of the mountain. And God tells Moses what's happening, and he tells him to go down. And what's interesting is that God tells Moses he wants to wipe the people out, and he wants to start over again with Moses. But Moses petitions on their behalf, and God relents. And what this shows us, really, you know, God wasn't going to destroy the people, but rather he was calling Moses to intercession to cultivate in his heart a compassion for the people because he will need that on their journey. 
It's also important to note that God is so much bigger than us and expressive in a way we can't comprehend in our limited human understanding. So at times in scripture, you're going to see things explained in a way that we can grasp at, but it doesn't fully capture the fullness of God. You know, in this passage, we see things explained in a way to help us wrap our minds around what's happening. It's a description of God in language drawn from our life as humans. We see an aspect of the anger of God. And biblical statements about God's anger are anthropomorphisms, which simply means the attribution of human care characteristics, emotions, and situations to God. It's where we we try to take our own human emotions and understanding and we apply it to God. Now, don't be confused because God's anger, it's not like our anger. And Spurgeon noted this in his observation of this moment. He wrote, I suppose that I need not say that this verse speaks after the manner of men. I do not know after what other manner we can speak. To speak of God after the manner of God is reserved for God himself. Immortal men cannot comprehend such speech. In this sense, the Lord often speaks, not according to the literal fact, but according to the appearance of things to us, in order that we may understand so far as the human can comprehend the divine. And so we see an we see this anger of God and how he wants to destroy the people. And we can assign it to how we understand anger, that it comes from this place of uh, sin, right? But when we apply our understanding of anger to God, we're getting it all wrong. God doesn't sin. There's no sin in him. It's a, it's a righteous anger. And we have to have that context throughout scripture that when we're talking about some of these attributes of God, that we, we, have to have this understanding that our comprehension of this is is limited and all we can do is speak to it in the best sense that you know scripture can use the words to speak to it so i hope that gives some context to what's happening here and then you know what we see next is that moses understands why god was so angry because he goes down and he sees them engaging in idolatry. And it says he burns hot. That's what the text says. He's getting angry. And we know that Moses struggled with anger a bit. He even takes the, the two tablets that God had literally written on with the commands and he throws them down. And what happens next is, you know, Moses essentially confronting Aaron and the people. He burns the idol, he grinds it into powder, and he makes the people drink it. And when he confronts Aaron about the disaster, Aaron denies the responsibility and he blames the people. Yes, the people were unrestrained, as verse 25 tells us, but Aaron was a poor leader to appease their sinful desires. The Levites are then given instructions to kill certain men, which essentially meant those who persisted in their idolatry and their immorality, which was about 3,000. And at the end of the chapter, Moses, he again, intercedes for the people and God agrees to spare the nation. So this has been a weighty podcast full of instructions and sacrifices and this moment with the people. And I would encourage you to sit with it. I hope that you've read the scripture already today that should always come before the podcast And ask the Lord to show you what it is he wants to enlighten to you through the text today. 
that very specific message he has for you today. And I hope that you've learned a new thing or two. I know that I, as I'm studying it, that I'm learning new things and we should always be learning something new in scripture, but that's what, that's where we're going to end for today. We'll pick back up tomorrow in Exodus and I'll see you then. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to Wonder by the Word. We are so grateful that you are here and I really pray that this episode left you with nuggets of wisdom, that you learned something new, maybe it challenged you, but ultimately that it encouraged you and inspired you to dive even deeper into the richness of scripture. If the Ministry of Truth and Grace or Wonder by the Word, the reading plan, the episode, all the resources have impacted you in any way, Would you please mind leaving a review, um, sharing this podcast with your friends, all of those little pieces of sharing and encouragement from your part go a long way to help the podcast get into further hands around the world so people can dive into scripture, engage with scripture on a more regular basis. You can also find us on Patreon, which would be a huge benefit to the ministry. And we just thank you so much for being a supporter. We'll see you next time.